Hi, this is Robert Farrell, and welcome to TruthQuest Podcast. This is our Q&A where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says so that we can know how we're supposed to believe. We believe what the Word of God says, trying to rightly divide it, being like Bereans who receive the Word of God with all joy, and search the Scriptures daily to find out whether or not these things are true. If you have a question, you can write the word question down in front of your question, write it out in the comment section, add any references. We can take time to look them up and uh, get the most biblical answer uh, to your question that you have. Our first question this week is is about new moons, Sabbaths, and um, what was the uh, what's the other phrase that was there? Um, new moon, Sabbaths, uh, and uh, uh, just things that last week uh, we did a our opening question was about whether or not we are under the law, and I had brought up several uh, passages showing that we are not under the law. Let me go ahead and show you those really quick. Uh, just a quick review. Um, we saw, first of all, in Romans 6.14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Also, for, whatever shall, um, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble at one point is guilty of all. That's James 2.10, Galatians 5.18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Uh, uh, Galatians 5.20, after faith has come, we are no longer under the tutor. Galatians 3.24 says that the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, but after faith has come, we are no longer under the law. Um, Romans 10.4, for Christ is the end of the law of righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So we are under the new covenant, not the old covenant. And we now fulfill the law and the prophets by walking in love. And then I brought up this passage, which says, Let no one judge you in food or in drink or in regard to festivals or new moons or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but a substance of Christ. And then I said that all of these things here are very Jewish. Food and and drink, uh, kosher foods and drink, uh, festivals, new moons, and Sabbaths. I I got a response from um, Nick on our YouTube channel, excuse me, I got a response from Nick on our YouTube channel um, as to um, this question, uh, as to that particular verse where he was obviously upset that I had misrepresented the answer somehow by being what he called vague, by saying that festivals and new moons and Sabbaths and and, uh, food and drinks were very Jewish. And then he said that he knew what they were and that I did too. So I asked him to clarify. Now this is the email that he wrote back to clarify because I just said, can you clarify what your objection is? Because I wasn't quite sure what his objection was. So this was his question that he wrote back. Or he said, uh, my objection is very simple. I was very articulate and I'm not sure you were. You can go and you can look at his question. Just go to last week's Q&A on are we under the law? And the next question will be under there and then you'll see me asking him to clarify it. He says he was very articulate. He said, I object to your statement that festival, new moons, and Sabbaths are very Jewish things. Okay? He says, uh, will you clarify this? In this, um, is this a reasonable statement? I know the answer. You can say these things if you spend time clarifying. You know that there are many people who need clarification. Are you saying these very Jewish things in reference to historical facts, or are you making a generalization? If it is a generalization, I'd be curious to know how you feel personally. All right, so I'm still not sure exactly what you're asking, Nick, as far as am I saying these things in a very general sense, or am I making a generalization um, in, in a historical sense or a generalization? Uh, in, a, in a historical sense, all of these things have been very Jewish. In a general sense, all of these things are very Jewish. Um, I want to show you uh, a couple of things here. Uh, First of all, I want to read this passage a little bit more in context. It says in verse 14, having been nailed to the cross, and then in 15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made public spectacles of them, triumphing um, over them in it, so that no one judge you in food or in drink or in in regarding festivals, new moons, or Sabbaths. So festivals, there are seven feasts every year that Jewish people kept and today keep. 
um, new moons. I'm gonna show you what that is here in just a moment. And Sabbaths, we all know what the Sabbath day is. We know that there were Sabbath years and there were Sabbath days, and these things were under the law. We also know that there are people today who tell us that we're supposed to keep the Sabbath and that that's the way we get to God. There are those who, Dave, who teach that we're supposed to be under the law. Why is why I even talked about it last week? Because there are those who say those things. Now, this is Wikipedia. Wikipedia is not the best source for information, but if you want a general sense about something, then starting at Wikipedia is good, and then you can go and do a little bit more research. So this is talking about new moons. It says in Judaism, Rosh Kadesh or Rosh Hadesh, and then it gives the Hebrew, beginning with the month, head of the month, is a minor holiday observed at the beginning of every month in the Hebrew calendar, marked by the birth, marked, uh, marked by the birth of a new moon. Rosh Kadesh is observed either one of two days, depending on whether the previous month contained 29 or 30 days. Now, there is a lot more to it uh, than just that. Uh, there's some debate among Jews if a new moon is the full moon, if it's a it's a no moon, if it's just when you start to see the sliver of the moon. But in Judaism, we see all the way back into the Old Testament. I want to read you here um, out of Isaiah chapter 13, where it says, uh, Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, the callings of the assemblies. They were doing these things thinking that doing them saved them without having a right heart to God. And so God was telling them, I, I'm sickened by these Jewish things that you're doing. He goes on to say, I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meaning, and the sacred meaning. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates. They are terrible to me. I am weary of bearing them. So you see the new moons and the festivals are there with the, um, with the different things that are done. In Numbers 10, 10, it says, also in the days of your gladness in your appointed feasts, which there are seven of them, at the beginning of your months, that's the new moon festivals, you shall blow the trumpet over the burnt offerings and over the sacrifices and the peace offerings, and you shall, they shall be a memorial before you. I am the Lord your God. That's Numbers 10, 10. Got a couple more here. Uh, this is a little bit longer one. Um, bring no more futile sacrifices. Again, they were futile because they didn't have a right heart with God. They, they thought that the sacrifices would save them, but the sacrifices were just a sign of what was taking place inside of them when God was going to, when you would receive Jesus, it was a shadow of the things to come. It says, bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. They would burn incense in the incense burner as a symbol of the prayers. The new moons, the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meetings, your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates. So notice, the new moons and the appointed feast, my soul hates. When you spread out your hands and hide your eyes from me, even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves and make yourselves clean. Put away the evil doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good. Justice rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless. Plead with the widows. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. And I will make, uh, though they are red, I will make them as white as snow. Now, one more, and then we'll go ahead and move on. And this is the King James, and why I put the King James in here, I don't know. Uh, take a psalms and bring hither and, and timbrel the pleasant harp with the uh, psalm tree. Blow up the trumpet in the new moon, or blow the trumpet in the new moon, in the appointed time of our solemn feast. For this was the statute of Israel and the law of God, and that's Psalms 81, 2 through 4. So we know that the food and drink is kosher food. We know that festivals is the festivals. We know that the Sabbaths the Sabbaths, and we know that the new moon was at the beginning of each month. Remember, the calendar, the Jewish calendar is different than our calendar. It goes by the moon, the lunar calendar. And so it's different than our calendar. And that goes all the way back to the Old Testament. So I'm still not sure, Nick, what the objection was to, the, to, to stating that these are very Jewish things because every one of them are, whether it's kosher things that are kosher to drink or to eat, um, or whether it is the Sabbath day or festivals or new moons. So if you would like to clarify 
your position on what your objection is specifically. You say you know what they are and that I needed to clarify. So I don't know, generally they're Jewish. Uh, historically, they're Jewish. So these are very uh, Jewish things. All right, so good to see you guys here. Uh, we have um, some questions. And if you have a question, then you can write the word question down, then you can write out your question, then you can reread your question, and we'll take time to look it up. Also add to that um, a reference, and we'll be able to take time to look at it. For those of you that are new here with us, glad to have you here. Uh, we do this every Wednesday and Saturday, and we take time to take uh, your questions. So we have our first question from Nathaniel. Nathaniel says, uh, question, there is a girl I like but the problem is that I'm 20 and she's 17. And my parents' and sister told me not to talk to her, but I feel like God is telling me to. So what should I do? Well, the problem is you feel like God is telling you to do something. And I like that, by the way, Nathaniel. I like that you're not like God told me to do it. Because remember, Peter didn't clearly know when God was speaking to him. God revealed that Jesus was the Messiah. But then he said, when Jesus started talking about his death, Peter approached him and said, may these things never be. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. I think we have trouble knowing, is, is it from me? Is it from God? Or is the enemy firing fiery darts at me? So we don't know what those things are. I think your parents are concerned that there could be a legal issue here. You are 20 and she is 17. And... Um, I, I can't speak to exactly what your parents and your sister, uh, to why they told you that, but maybe they have reasons for that concern. Um, that God is telling you to do what your parents are telling you and your sister are telling you not to do may, be, may indeed be problematic. Um, it's interesting that God, I, I assume that you want to talk to her. So now God's telling you to do what you want to do. And so that's why it makes it so hard for you. If you were like, I don't want to talk to her either, but I feel like God's telling me to talk to her. Um, I, um, I would say, Nathaniel, uh, listen to your parents on this one. Um, you're 20 years old. The Bible says, honor your father and mother. It seems to me that they have your best in mind. Um, I don't know when this girl will turn 18, uh, but I would... Um, I would, I would, I encourage you to listen to them, to honor them at this point, um, and to make sure that your feelings and affections towards this girl are what they are supposed to be. Um, there's been a lot done with God told me. Remember when, um, remember when Joseph, Jacob, went out and slaughtered a calf and prepared it, pretend he did he was Esau. And when Isaac said to him, how'd you get such success so quickly? Um, uh, Jacob said, God was with me. He turned it into a spiritual thing. And I can tell you a lot of times I've heard people say, God told me this when it's just what they really want to do. So um, you, you're not gonna be able to go to the scriptures and find the scriptures telling you whether or not you're supposed to talk to this girl. So we're looking for direction. So you really want to seek the Lord. Um, I also don't know whether your mother and father are, are godly. So there are some things that I don't know when I look at this. Um, but if you like this girl and she's 17 and you're 20, obviously they're concerned that there would be some sexual activity and that that could be very bad for you. And it could be very, very bad for her and very bad for you all the way around. So I may have that completely wrong, Nathaniel. You can follow up with me on that if you want to. Um, a lot of times, you know, there's just not much room to write things down here. And a lot of times we have to make some assumptions when we're looking uh, to answer those things. So from what I've got here, that's what I would say. I would say, you know, your parents have a lot of wisdom. I don't know, your sister here, you know, so there's by, by, by one or two witnesses, so I'm not saying that two or three people saying something makes it right, but um, you've got two people, three people who know you and you're saying God told you to talk to her. Um, I, I, I would say, wait. Um, yeah, and so then you also, you add in here, Nathaniel, also this girl goes to my church and I know her and her family. What do I do, Pastor? Um, you know, I'm gonna, 
I'm going to do, I'm going to do this. I assume you go to church, Nathaniel. So I'm going to encourage you to go and talk to one of your pastors who knows you or go and talk to her pastor. Now, don't bounce around until you find somebody who says what you want to hear. But I would go to somebody who knows you, knows your family. I assume if you're saying God told me to talk to her, that you go to church. Because asking in a comment section a question like this that's very personal and very involved is very hard for me to give you direction on. I'm, I'm just not going to be able to do it solidly um, and, um, and completely fair to everyone involved. So I'm going to send you to a pastor to be able to talk to him. All right? There's no way I can give you direction. I'm just going to go back to what I had said earlier, which is, you know, Bible says, honor your father and mother. They have the, they have the, their best for you. They obviously are concerned about something, probably as I said, and um, I would, I would go and talk to a pastor and um, someone whom you know, someone in the church that you go to, maybe someone that knows both of you, or someone who's spiritual. Maybe they don't need to be a pastor, but they're spiritual and they know you enough, they're able to respond to you. But I would not, I would not continue this on until you get an opportunity to sit down and talk to somebody. Um, a, um, a biblical counselor that you know may be helpful as well. All right, so thank you very much. Uh, we have a question from Brandon. Brandon says, um, from your last teaching on the white throne, will we be amongst all who have ever lived who will be judged along with everyone else participating in judging? Uh, thanks, Brandon. Good question. Um, yes, I believe we will. I believe that, that everyone is there. And so the Bible does say that we will be judged <clears throat> for our works and the things that we say, but specifically in the epistles that we will be judged by our works. Now, I addressed this on the West Campus and the East Campus. Power went out and I had to shorten the teaching. Um, but on the West Campus, I said, our sins are obviously forgiven. And God said that he would remember them no more. So I have works that are evil that are under the blood of Christ. And so when the books are opened, then I will not be judged by, by, by sinful things that are under the blood. Those are, are gone. So I'm only judged on the good things that I've done, which is a pretty amazing thing for us who are Christians, that we're judged by what good we do. And then I had said the scary thing would be if after all of our works are judged, they are burned up and we don't have any good works. And you as a believer have the book opened and then it's like, well, there's nothing here. Remember, we have been, God has good works that he has foreordained for us to walk in. So there are things that God wants each one of us to do. There's, God has a call on our lives. God gives us gifts. Um, James said, show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. He wasn't saying that you can get saved by works. We know that Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 speak against that. But Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 says, um, we're not saved by works, lest anyone should boast. But God has created us for good works that we would walk in them. So we come to Christ by faith through the grace of God, and then we walk in the good works that God has given us to call in. And then we assume uh, that we receive rewards from, from that time. So yes, we will be those that will be there and will be judged. I think everybody, all of humanity, will be at the great white judgment throne. We don't see anything different, not that I'm aware of, that would ever make us think that there is another, that we are somewhere else um, other than in front of him. All right, so thank you very much, Brandon. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, Jari, we have a, Jari has a question. Jari says, what does God say, uh, say much about livestock in Jonah? Could it be the passage is evidence animals will be at the judgment but are innocent like children are innocent? Thanks. So this comes from our teaching um, last week as well. So we talked about the great white judgment throne and we talked about what about those who never heard? And we also talked about children. And the, the arguments in the scriptures are surprising for God giving light. I called them graces in my study, um, that God gives grace 
to be able to see who he is and that people can respond to it, even if it's restricted light. And that if someone is completely blind, they don't know what the law is, then they aren't under sin. And Jesus said this specifically to the blind man. He's talking to the blind man. The Pharisees came up and said, are we blind also? And he said, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you see, your sin remains. And we talked a few other passages about children, and it becomes evident that God is going to save all the children. And if you want to go back and look at that teaching, it's called the White Throne Judgment. What about those who never heard? And you can find it on CalvaryTucson.com, or you can find it on YouTube as well. Just go to our YouTube page, Calvary Tucson with Robert Furrow. And um, it's our last video that's up. Um, the live didn't work, <clears throat> so it's our last video that's up. And it's pretty amazing. But one of the things that God says to Jonah, when Jonah's upset because the God's going to have mercy on the Ninevites, God says, what about the 120,000 who don't know their right hand from their left? So these are children who are small, so small, they don't know their right hand from their left. And then he says, and what about the livestock? So that verse, I read that verse, not to prove that children go to heaven, but to make the point that God cares about children. He cares about the 120,000 Ninevite kids. He cares about the kids that are in Bangladesh right now, who are in, who are in a dark part of the world where maybe the gospel isn't reaching. God cares about those kids there too. And that God cares about livestock because he also said, and the livestock. Your question, Jari, is this evidence that uh, uh, livestock are, let's see, animals will be at the judgment? No. And this isn't evidence either that kids are saved. There's other passages that we went to to be able to make the point that kids are saved. Okay? Um, this is... Um, just a statement that God cares about kids and cares about the livestock. And, um, you know, the Bible says that the righteous man kills what he eats. So God just doesn't want us indiscriminately killing animals. He wants us to, to use them as food, as sustenance. So that it's, it's not evidence either way, Jari, all right? I know a lot of people would like to have that because if uh, cattle are at it, then cats and dogs would be there as well. Um, yeah, so a, a lot of people would love that to be, um, would love that to be so. All right. So Jari has a follow-up, I think, on our opening question. Follow-up. Under the Old Covenant, so if a Jew didn't follow these laws in the Old Testament and died, we won't see them in the new heaven or new earth. Thanks, Pastor. Um, so, if someone who was Jewish had a right heart towards God, then they would be wanting to keep the law. Now, if there was someone who was Jewish and didn't keep the commandments, um, I, I, I don't think you had to keep, I don't think you had to keep all, if you didn't keep the commandments, so I'm going I'm to bring your question back up here again and we're going to read it again. Um, under the covenant. So if a Jew didn't follow these laws in the Old Testament, he died. Um, so no. So under the law, there were 613 laws. Now, the term Jew refers to the people of Judah. Remember that Israel was um, divided and you had the 10 tribes of Israel that are the capital of Samaria and you had the uh, two tribes, really Judah and Benjamin, some of Simeon, I think, or, or, or Judah and Simeon and some of Benjamin that were called the tribe of Judah. So the Jews come from the tribe of Judah. So the term we're really looking for, we're looking for the Old Testament under the law, the term is Israel, which would encompass both Judah and Israel. Okay. Um, number two, if they didn't follow the law, if they broke a law, then they would bring a sacrifice. And that sacrifice would be killed for them that would cover them and forgive them of their sin, transgresses, and iniquity. Now, we know from the New Testament that those animals that were sacrificed covered sin. So, Paul said, um, regarding the law, I was blameless. It didn't mean that Paul kept the law, the whole law, that he never broke a law. It meant he kept it by bringing sacrifices, by making sure that the sacrifices were given. 
So someone had to bring those sacrifices to make things right. Now, again, you know, hypotheticals are very difficult. You know, um, if somebody doesn't keep the law, were they saved? Well, I don't know. There, there's so many variants there. How can you go out and cover all of the different variants that are there? So I don't know if we can answer that kind of a broad question completely. But under the law, they, they when they broke a law, they had sacrifices that they gave. And those sacrifices covered the law. All right, Jerry. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, we have a question from Matthew Wilson. Matthew says, Hello, Pastor Robert. Exodus 28 through 11, God tells us to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Okay? Uh, six days of work, the seventh day of rest. Could you explain how that applies today? Yes, I would love to. Um, so, we read Colossians 2.16, don't let anyone judge you concerning Sabbaths. And I'm going to bring up Romans chapter 14 here, and I'm going to get to this in a minute. Um, so, we are not under the law, okay? We are under grace. I read those passages in the beginning of our Q&A. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. Once we came to Christ, we no longer need the tutor, so we no longer need the law. We now fulfill the law through love. So, when we love, uh, we fulfill the law and the prophets. Jesus said, not one jot or tittle of the law will pass away until it is completed or fulfilled. He is the fulfillment of the law. We don't give sacrifices today because Jesus is our sacrifice. On the cross, he became our Passover lamb. We don't have a high priest today because Jesus is our high priest. He completed the law. And we don't keep the Sabbath today, or we do keep the Sabbath today, but we keep it through Christ. He is our Sabbath. And that's Hebrews chapter 4. He is our Sabbath rest. Jesus said, if any of you are weary and heavy laden, then come unto me and I will give you rest. So, people today that say, um, we have to keep the Sabbath in order to be saved. There's two different groups of people. There's a group of people that come out of the Christian cults that came out of the 1800s, which came out of Campbellism, uh, not cannibalism, but Campbellism and um, Millerism, and the Seventh-day Adventists, the Jehovah Witnesses, the Church of Christ, um, the Mormons, all have roots that are back in those, and all of those are work-based religions. Whether it's you got to be baptized to be saved, or you got to keep the Sabbath to be saved, or you've got to um, speak in tongues to be saved. They're, they're work-based religions. And we know that no work can save you. So, we don't keep the Sabbath. Now, people will say, well, the Sabbath um, is one of the Ten Commandments. So, you're telling me you don't have to keep the Ten Commandments? And my answer to that is always, I don't have to keep the Ten Commandments. I have to walk in love. And all of the, the Ten all, all, all of the ten, out of the ten Commandments, nine of them are reiterated in the New Testament, except for the Sabbath. So, we're never told in the New Testament that we have to keep the Sabbath. And we saw that the disciples so radically changed after Christ that they, they, they took on new things like communion and they began to meet on the Lord's Day, which is Sunday. Now, the very early church went to the temple as well until the temple was destroyed. And then we started getting books written in the in the 50s uh, AD, so in, in the um, in mid-100s, about us not being under the law, and Hebrews, which clearly tells us that if we think sacrifice, well, Rome, uh, Galatians tells us this too, that if you could be saved under the law, then Christ died in vain. So if you could be saved by keeping the Sabbath, then Christ would have died in vain, okay? So now let me go ahead and pull this passage up for you here. So this is Hebrews chapter 14. It says, receive one who is weak in faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. For one believes that he may eat all things, the other who is weak eats only vegetables. Notice the weak brethren is the one who has restrictions, okay? Um, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge the one who eats. So you can despise the person that doesn't eat, calling them weak and despising them, or you could judge the one who eats because I'm eating only vegetables, so I'm judging that person. For God has received him. Who are you to judge another man's servant? To his own master he stands and falls. Indeed, he will be able to stand, and God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day, let me go back to that, one person esteems one day above another, 
another esteems every day alike, let each be fully convinced in his own mind. So one person says, I'm going to go to church on Saturday. More power to you. You can do that. Just don't think you're saved by it. But if you want to esteem Saturday over the rest of the days, go ahead. You're free to do that. But another person esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. You got to live your own convictions. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. So he's obviously talking about the Sabbath here. He who eats, let him eat to the Lord. He gives thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and, does not, and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live or we die to the Lord, and if we, if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Uh, therefore, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. It's all about living for him. It's not about living under any form of the law. So, and there are the, the, the Sabbath groups, the people wanting to put you back under the law, there are a lot of them today that are, um, that are around. And, and I just say, don't let anybody put you back under the law. It's amazing we have this. Paul was so clear that we are not under the law anymore, that a lot of these groups that want to put us under the law reject the writings of Paul. They go back to the writings of Jesus to say that Paul was a false teacher, and so they end up rejecting um, the writings of God. All right, thank you, Matthew, for your question. I appreciate that. Um, if you're in a Sabbatarian church, then, and I, I'm not necessarily saying you, Matthew, I'm just saying if anybody's listening, is in a Sabbatarian church, you've got to ask the question, do they believe that you are superior because you're in a Sabbatarian church? then that's problematic. If you believe that you are saved by, by, by keeping the Sabbath, that's extremely problematic because we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. All right? So thank you very much, Matthew, for your question. I appreciate that. Uh, we have another question here from Justin. Justin says, is Satan able to be everywhere at the same time like God and the Holy Spirit? Like saying the devil is testing me. How is he consistently trying to keep us away from God at the same time? So I don't believe that Satan is everywhere all the time. I don't believe that he, um, I don't believe that he can tempt a person over here and over here. But what he is, is the head of a system. So he is the head of principalities and powers and a spiritual host that go out and tempt the world. And he is the accuser of the brethren. And so when this system of demonic spirits, we take it a third of the angels, because Michael and his angels fight against Satan and his angels. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven. It says in Revelation that Satan, a third of the angels fell. So we believe that a third of the angels are his demonic force. And they're doing a work around the world and doing Satan's bidding, who is the God of this age. And, and Satan himself has been given the authority, has been given authority of everything in the world. He said to Jesus when he tempted him, um, all the kingdoms of the world and their glory have been given to me and I give them to whoever I wish. Bow down and worship me and I'll give them to you. Now this wouldn't be a real temptation if Satan didn't have them. And Jesus never rebuked them. So Satan had them. So he oversees the world. But no, um, Satan is not like God who can be everywhere at one time. What are the limitations? What are the limitations in the spiritual realm of spiritual creatures? I don't know for sure, but I do know that Satan is not omnipresent, okay? Like the Holy Spirit and like the Father. So in the Bible, we'll make reference to the work of the enemy. Um, he's roaring lion seeking he may, he may devour. He's got a network of demonic spirits underneath him. And we have a group of, of angels that are ministering to us as well. Okay? So um, welcome to take a, a follow-up on that, Justin, if somehow you were asking something a little different than what I answered, all right? Sorry. Uh, we have a question from Fact Check These Hands. Fact Check These Hands says, uh, your thoughts on Revelation 12, the recent discovery of a comet Nishimara asteroid named Child or in Virgo's womb. It's very compelling. 
Um, I do not, this is the first that I've heard of it. Okay. I saw some, um, I saw some videos up talking about the woman and the child. And, um, so in Revelation 12, let's go there. Let's read it. And, um, then we'll talk about Virgo and this prophecy. All right. So Revelation 12, Uh, all right, so um, Virgo is obviously one of the constellations, right? Um, and is a woman. And there are other constellations that are around it. So here's what it says. Let me go ahead and put this up for you. It says, now a great now a great sign appeared in the heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. So there was a time not that long ago, 2017 maybe, where the sun was behind Virgo, and I think it's Leo that's above her, and they said that Leo has 12 stars, and Jupiter, who is considered to be the the, the, um, I don't know, male planet, um, considered to be, considered the, the, this to represent Christ, was in Virgo. And then at a certain date came out of Virgo and they knew what that date was, okay? Now it goes on to say, and on her head is a garland of 12 stars, what they say is Leo, and being with child, she cried out in labor <clears throat> and gave birth. So there's a certain point where the, uh, the, um, planet Jupiter left Virgo, okay, or came out from behind what would be Virgo. And another sign appeared in the heavens, behold, a red fiery dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven diadems. And on his head, his tail drew a third of the stars from heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman and was ready to devour, to ready to give birth. So this child's ready to give birth and devour the child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule over the nations with a rod of iron. Okay, so let's just pause at this point. Let's put the whole Virgo thing aside, and then the 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 um, the, the Jupiter are now this new. Um, what was it? Um, what was it that was found here? The um, the new comet. Okay, let's put all of that aside. We know the child is Christ. She bore a male child who was ruled all nations with a rod of iron. So the woman that's appeared as a sign in the heavens was Israel. The 12 stars are obviously the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, Jacob had visions, uh, Joseph had visions in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, uh, saying that the 11 stars bowed down to me and the moon and the sun. So there's a connection in the Old Testament to this. So when Jupiter came out, and, and when you go back and you look at this 2017 prediction, Jupiter was in Virgo, Leo was the 12, was the 12 stars. Well, Leo, doesn't, Leo has more than 12 stars. It just has, I think, nine prominent stars, and they added three more planets to make it 12. But there are more stars in Leo than that. So they're choosing to make things fit. Jupiter went in and out of Virgo and then finally came out on the day that they said it was going to happen, okay? And um, so they were making it what it was. And then it was said that there was some kind of a um, red dragon that was seen. And this may be the comet that you're talking about that was seen behind it. Um, nevertheless, it's obvious here in 12 that this is, is Christ. She bore a male child who was to rule the nations. And her child was caught up to God in his throne. Now that happened um, when Jesus died on the cross and ascended into heaven. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should uh, feed her for 2,160 days. Um, let me go back here. Um, yeah, so that's a pretty broad stance, right? Um, You've got the woman that appears in heaven. She's got 12 stars. She gives birth to a male child, obviously Christ, because he's going to rule the nation with a rod of iron. And then 
um, the, the child is caught up in heaven and the woman goes out into the wilderness. Now, this wilderness connects later on to God taking Israel, the nation of Israel, people of Israel during the tribulation period, out into the wilderness on the wings of eagles. Okay? So, could, could God be doing a secondary thing here? So, he's talking about Jesus, but these the stars represent um, the constellations, the signs in the skies, which God gave for signs and, and, um, and direction. I think it says in, in Genesis chapter 1, talks about um, the lights in the heavens being given for signs and seasons. And so, could God be doing a secondary thing here? Maybe. I'm curious as to, and I'll look it up, as to what they're saying this represents. And um, I, if they're trying to make something that is said about this, I'm, I'm curious about it. So this is a rehashing of a, two, I think it was 2017 prophecy that uh, Jesus was going to come back again. Of course, 2017 came and went and nothing happened. So, I'm always skeptical about these kind of prophecies. The woman obviously is Israel. The sun and the moon would represent Jacob and Rachel. The 12 stars would represent the, the 12 tribes of Israel or the 12 sons of, uh, of Jacob. And then out of Israel came the Messiah who was caught up to heaven. So, I, I think that it's pretty, I think that it's pretty clear. All right. So, thank you. Um, Fact check these hands. I will check it out though. And I'm not afraid, by the way, if I go and check it out and go, there's something here, I'll come back and tell you that I think there's something there. All right. Um, I don't think there's going to be, but if there is, I'll come back and tell you. All right. I, I will definitely look into it. So we have a question from Michaela. Uh, good to see you, Michaela. Michaela says, uh, when the earth is created, is there a new heaven created too? If so, why? If the earth is restored to garden-level intimacy with God, the Father, what purpose is there in a new heaven? So, let's go to Revelation uh, 21. And this is where we talked about a new heaven and a new earth. Um, so, during the, the millennium period, there's a restoration of the earth to what God wanted when he created it. Okay? And we rule and reign with him. And Adam and Eve were given dominion over the earth. So there's a restoration. Plus, God made a bunch of promises to Israel that have to be fulfilled in um, before the end of time. So the millennium period allows all of those things to be done. Now, the millennium period ends. And the great white judgment throne happens. And now, I'm, I'm still able to see your question here. I'll look at it to answer it. And now, Revelation 21, this is after... Um, Everyone who doesn't believe is thrown into the, the lake of fire. It says, all right, let me get back there again. Sorry, I pressed the wrong button. Uh, 21.1. Okay, here we go. So, let me go ahead and put this up on the screen for you. It says, um, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now, the old heaven and old earth had fled away from the presence of him who sat on the throne. Peter talks about this earth being destroyed by fire and everything that we know is going to be destroyed. So, what kind of person should we be? So, Michaela, when God created the heavens and the earth, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, the heavens and the earth. The, the, the universe as we know it was created. When God judges this earth, and heaven and earth fade away, the universe fades away. And now there's a new heaven and a new earth. I don't know what that new heaven and new earth is like, but it's not about restoring the old heaven and the old earth. It's about a completely new heaven and new earth. And from the first heaven and the first earth, it passed away. We read that at the end of Revelation 20 when, when the white throne was seen and Jesus was sitting on the white throne and heaven and earth fled away from his face and was no more. That's pretty amazing. I mean, pretty powerful. That's how powerful Jesus is. Heaven and earth flees away from him. But also, in the end, all that matters is what you do for Christ. Because heaven and earth pass away. Like Peter said, these things are going to be burned up. So what manner of people ought we to be? Who are we living for? Who are we living for today if, if these things are the case, right? 
So, um, your question, when the new earth is created, is there a new heaven? Yeah, there is. Um, because the old earth and the old heaven pass away, meaning the universe. So, if so, why? Because our God lives outside of the time-space-matter continuum. He created time, He created space, He created matter. And He put them all together in what we know today as our universe. And our solar system is in a small part of it, and the, our earth is not even a smaller part of that. And here we are, a little speck of dust on top of that earth. And all of those things are going to pass away. But God has called us and chosen us. It, um, the earth and, uh, is restored during the millennium, but not to garden level, well, garden level intimacy, maybe, um, with the Father and the Son, but that's not the end result of what God wanted. God wants the new Jerusalem to come out of heaven and for us to walk the streets of this new Jerusalem, which we're going to get in Revelation chapter 21. All right. Thanks, Michaela, for your question. I appreciate that. Um, so, Michaela asked a question. Um, follow up. Where do people go when they die in the millennium reign? That's a good question. Um, so, when we call this the intermediate state. When someone dies today, they are in the presence of God. If they're a Christian, they're in the presence of God. Jesus told a parable, maybe a story, of the rich man and Lazarus, and they both died. And one of them was comforted by Abraham, and the rich man was in torment. And he talks about being in torment in these flames. It is interesting when you look at this account that the flames are not tormenting him to such a degree that he can't carry on a conversation and that he's looking to kind of justify his position. He's, he's in torment and the, a lot of theologians believe that the, that torment is not flames but it's actually like the torment of your own conscience, the torment of your own sin. And he's still making justifications. Send Lazarus back to my brothers so they don't come to this place. Had I had more information, had I been told, then I wouldn't have come to this place. He's not taking responsibility for it. He's still in his own. So during the millennium, there are going to be believers that die and non-believers that die. I take it. And so if they're believers, they'll be in the presence of God somehow. Even though the Lord has returned to this earth, they're still, I assume that there's still heaven as in the place where we are with God today, even though Jesus is ruling and reigning from the earth. And that's why I said this is an interesting question. And if they die, um, death and Hades hasn't been thrown in the lake of fire, so they'll still be in torment in their own thoughts and in their own sin if they don't know Christ. Now, whether the idea that hell is a torture chamber under the earth and that people go to hell today. This is the grave. This is a place where they are kept, where they are, it seems like they're conscious because of the story slash parable, whatever that is that Jesus told. And they're in some kind of torment. So I would believe that that still has not been thrown to the lake of fire yet during the millennium. So they would find themselves still being tormented or, or being in um, torment. And again, not necessarily that the flames are actual flames, but there is some kind of torment. Many believe that it is a mental torment and anguish that is connected to their own sins and sins, decisions that they made because they never repent from them. Uh, this was C.S. Lewis's position who said the gates of hell are locked from the inside and that no one is in hell that doesn't want to be there. The, the rich man never asked to, be, to leave hell. He never wanted to be over in the comfort side which is interesting. All right. So we have a question from um, Doug Search. Um, Doug says, um, from um, NZ, it's, um, it, uh, Nick was talking about um, the account of many tribes, people, groups, celebrated moons of festivals. The text of the passage um so I'm not sure, Doug, what your question is. Um, sometimes you got to just reread them. I mean, the first time any, any of us write something out, we need to edit it. And um, so I'm not sure. So it looks like you're saying that there are people that celebrate festivals and new moons 
that are different tribes. So maybe that's what Nick was talking about. I don't know. Nick wouldn't tell me. So maybe after Nick sees this, he'll tell me. Maybe. Because he says I knew and he knew and I don't know. Um, Paul was talking about um, Paul was talking about Jews and not about any tribes in the book of Colossians. How do I know that? Well, let's just go back to the context of it. Okay? Um, so I'm going to start, I think, in around verse, um, I'm going to start in verse 11. Let me go ahead and put this up for you and we'll read it together here. Okay? So here it says, um, this is earlier on. So we're going to get to verse 16 that talks about the new moons and the festivals. So he says, in him you also, um, in him you also were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. That's Jewish. By putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So he's talking about a circumcision that we have where we are no longer living for our flesh, but we're living for Jesus now. We were buried with him in baptism, in which we also will be raised with him through faith in working in the working of God. So by in faith, we were baptized and we were buried with them and we're raised again. And this tells us, by the way, that something happens when we are buried with Christ and when we are raised again. Okay? So then he says, um, and you being dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made alive together with having forgiven your uh, you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting and the requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing them over them in as it is, triumphing over them in it. So he made an open spectacle of the devil by having our sins, the handwriting that was against us, nailed to the cross. Then it says, so. That word so is a connecting verse, connecting it to the cross and what's taken there. So let no one judge you in food or drink. That's the kosher aspect. In festivals, seven festivals, uh, or a new moon. I read you all the new moon passages. If you didn't get that, um, by the way, um, let's see. Uh, if you didn't get that, Doug, it's in the beginning of this video. Go back later. It's going to be posted, and you can look and you can see all the passages that talk about the new moon celebrations. It was a, it's a, it was a minor festival for the Jewish people. And Sabbaths, which we know are, 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 are Jewish, which are shadows of things to come. Now, think about this. If these are some, if these are some tribe somewhere that is, that is doing new moons and festivals and stuff, how does that fit with where they are? The Colossians. And if it's new tribes that are doing these things, then uh, how do we disconnect it from the things that were very Jewish? I, I don't think that these can be any kind of, of tribes or any of those things. Now, this might be what Nick was talking about, and, and I don't know, but I don't think that they actually can be. They're... they're very Jewish. And I'm saying that with all honesty, Nick, just so you know. All right? Um, so, uh, fact check these hands says, we're talking about the comment that's in Virgo. Um, Susan, me too. The comment hasn't moved in thousands of years. Never moves again after this month. It's crazy. And it's... Um, uh, means the great husband. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to take, I'll take a look at it. Um, not sure. I still think it's going to be nothing because I don't think that that's what it's talking about. And this just kind of piggybacks on that 2017 uh, prediction that people made that didn't come true. Nothing happened. And besides, it really wasn't that anyway. Like so many modern day prophecies, they stretch things to make them fit. Like there's more stars than Leo. Uh, Jupiter was never really in Virgo, all of those things, right? They were just stretching things uh, to make them fit, all right? So, um, if you're here with us today for the first time, good to have you here. Uh, we do this every Wednesday and Saturday. Uh, it is a supplement to the teaching ministry of Calvary Tucson. So, if you have questions about our teachings, you can ask any question you want. 
but specifically about our teachings, then you can come and follow through. So if you're listening to our teachings, you're in church, you write down your questions, uh, you can come in and you can ask them here. All right? So, um, we have a question from Agnes. How should I get rid of religious relics I inherit from my mother? Um, I would really like to have more information before I answer that, Agnes. What kind of religious relics are we talking about? Are we talking about an ancient manuscript? Are we talking about some superstitious thing? Um, you know, I'd really like to have a little bit more information. Obviously, you want to get rid of it, so there must be something there, but could you give me more information? Even if you put it at the end of this um, Q&A, and I don't get to it because we're almost at the end of it, uh, I will read these later on, so I'll be able to look into your, and I can answer it in a future Q&A, all right? So, General Info says, good, good name, General Info, uh, Pastor, do you vote? I don't want to know who you vote for, I'll tell you, um, or any other information. I just want to know if you vote in the presidential election. Yes, I vote. Um, and I vote for other things than just besides the president. I believe that as Christians, we have a responsibility to heavenly things, to Christ. I am first an ambassador for Jesus, and I live for him. As the pastor of a church, my goal is to get people closer to Jesus, learning more about the Bible, living more of the Word of God. As an American, I want the person that, that represents the United States to be the one that represents my views closely. And I vote for the unborn. That's right now the battle, and I think it's still the battle that's going on. And I vote for the unborn, and, and will continue to vote for the unborn. Um, and so, therefore, my last vote was for Donald Trump. And people will say, well, how can you do that? Because, you know, he's such a terrible guy. Um, first of all, all politicians are terrible people. I think that's a really huge, right, um, painting with a broad brush. But um, I don't know, prove me wrong on this one. Uh, I'm certainly not talking about the, the, the local level, but it seems to me that there's a lot of corruption uh, that politicians have. It seems to me that there is. And, um, but secondly, his view on the unborn was the view that I take. And if I really believe that the unborn baby is human and that they're being sacrificed for the sake of convenience, like when they had their children pass through fire to Molech, what kind of person would I be if I sit back and did nothing? One of the things I can do is to vote. And, um, if, if it were in some other, if it weren't some other topic, if, if that were taken care of, like slavery was eventually taken care of, then I would vote. I would vote. I believe that voting is, is the right of an American and we should do that. I think we should vote. I think we should be involved politically. I think that we should understand that politics can never save us and that what we need is Jesus Christ and not conflate the two as people do, as um, often seems to be the case. All right. So thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, let's see. Oh, what other question we've got? Good to see you guys here with us today. Um, so we have a question, and this will be our last one for today, I think, unless I can answer this really quick. Is smoking a cigarette a sin? Um, all right. So we know it's destructive, right? We know it's harmful, okay? Um, does the Bible ever say, don't dry out leaves roll them up in paper, light them on fire, and suck them into your lungs. That doesn't ever say don't do that. Does the Bible have to say not to do that for us to somehow realize that might not be the smartest thing to do for our lungs? However, I don't think smoking is a sin. It may be a sin to you if God tells you to quit and you don't do it. That would be rebellion. It's not good for you. And Paul said, I'm free to do everything. But is it, is it expedient for me to do it? So I don't judge people over whether or not they smoke. I judge, I want to, I want to know how people are living. Are they living for Christ? And a lot of times I think that Satan wants to just throw, throw things that are fake at you. Like, you know, you can't serve God because you smoke. I would say if, if the enemy is doing that, 
then I just get rid of smoking. You probably should anyway. Number one, the tar is bad on your lungs. We, we know that it causes um, COPD. We know that it causes lung cancer. We know that um, uh, nicotine is not good for you. We know that these things are extremely hard to break, but, but it's not good for you in any way, shape, or form. And so um, I'm going to say that God may have more things that he wants you to do um, and that there isn't anything in the Bible that would say that smoking a cigarette is a sin. Um, this was hashed over way back in the days of Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon smoked cigars and um, was a great pastor and teacher. Was it healthy for him? No. Did it lead to his death? Maybe. I don't know. All right. Um, so I'm going to, uh, I'm going to wrap it up. I see a couple other questions here that look really good. Um, I'm going to take time to look at these questions. If I don't get, didn't get you to, request, to your question today, then come back again on Saturday. Uh, come back again on Wednesday. This is today, Saturday, four o'clock. Get here around four o'clock and put your question in and we'll get to it. Um, if it gets later on, then I, don't, I can't always get to them. All right. Um, but I can, I can take time to look at these questions. I'll have this log sent to me. I'll be able to look back and see what these questions are, okay? So it's good to be here with you guys today. Stay close to Jesus. We have a service in about an hour from now. Uh, we are in um, Acts chapter 9. We're talking about the amazing transformation of Paul and what we can learn from it. And there's a lot that we can learn from it. So I look forward to seeing you there. Uh, you can go to calvarytucson.com to watch it. You can go to YouTube to watch it, Facebook to watch it. Uh, you can go live if you're here in Tucson, six o'clock at our East Campus. Seven, no, six o'clock at our East Campus. Uh, tomorrow morning, we'll have uh, services at both East and West Campuses, all right? So love you guys. Stay close to Jesus. Um, walk, um, walk in the Spirit so you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh and delight in the Lord so that uh, He'll give you the desires of your heart. And when tempted, look for the way of escape. Don't forget that with every temptation comes a way of escape. All right? So I am out. Um, love you guys. We will see you later on.